here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey lovers, today we dive in deeper into BDSM and the nuances of power as it plays out not only just in the bedroom, but in our own lives and relationships outside of it as well. Kink can be a really powerful avenue for somatic and psychological healing. I've brought many experts on to talk about BDSM, but this episode is hands down my favorite, probably because Colette has such a brilliant and academically inclined mind, as well as someone who is deeply devoted to spirituality and alchemy. We really take a look at BDSM as a microcosm of the macro culture in our lives and how you can find transformation with the intentional embracing of power roles, toys, tools, scenes, whether that's with a partner or with a professional dom. Even more, she gets very real about the challenges that come up for her being a public-facing figure teaching on topics like this (laughs) that are so taboo and controversial. She really breaks down the complexities of what it's like to be a stand for destigmatizing the cultural narrative around sex and kink, while also advocating for personal care amid a world that still has a lot of ignorance, misunderstanding, pain, and confusion around it. I'm so stoked to have her on here and even more excited to continue to co-create amazing experiences with her. Colette and I will be leading our couples retreat, Love and Leather, in Northern California, July 2023. We couldn't be more excited to share our magic together for couples seeking to expand their experiences around eroticism, BDSM, sensuality, and energetics. Fusing our work from the BDSM kink space and energetic practices from tantra and sensual embodiment to bring you an experience that's all about transcendence and transformation of your sex life. This is a four-day retreat in which we will have ample time to dive into your sexual dynamic and play with the full spectrum of light and dark in a playful and empowering way. If you and your partner have been seeking in-person opportunities to discover who you are as erotic beings, then this is for you. I'm going to leave the link to the landing page in the show notes to check out. And now to my dear friend that I am so excited to have on this show. She's so incredible. (laughs) Colette Pervet is an incredible educatrix. (laughs) I have to like say that again. (laughs) Colette is an educatrix. She is a (laughs) professional dominatrix. I feel like I'm giving a poem right now. (laughs) Make it rhyme. (laughs) Beatrix. (laughs) The mistress class where she teaches aspiring doms a artistic approach <laughs> to female domination. How far can I go with this, Colette? <laughs> you can do it. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> the first time that I met her was at it was a it was a, a power play. It was a a, a femme erotic uh, weekend retreat. And at the breakup boot camp with um, our other dear friend Amy Chan, who I've also had the honor of interviewing on this podcast. So definitely check out that episode. And I was like, I was listening to you talk, and I was like, 
who is this powerful babe? Like what is coming out of her mouth? It's so good. And I've been in the BDSM space for some time now. And, and I've had several professional dominatrixes here on the show, but when I met you, one of the qualities about you that really had me entranced was the power that I felt through your softness mm. and the way that you command a room with this mm, both deeply penetrating presence, but also a quieter voice. And you just hold everyone in the room. And it reminded me, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I came across this, this quote that martial artists use. And um, they say that in any situation, the most powerful person in the room is the one who's the most relaxed. And mm -hmm. I think for so many of us, we're conditioned to think that power is loud. Power is, you know, like, it, it, yeah, loud. <laughs> Yeah, we, we fight over each other to, to be heard or to be seen. And you are this example of just like quiet, penetrating power. And I'm so curious. That's where I want to start. How you came to realize that power could be different, that it doesn't have to be allowed. Yeah. I think I, it started as I became a dominatrix and I think I also had ideas of what power was and who a dominatrix is. And, and, you know, I think we have this like canonical image of the, this woman who's like bitchy and loud and, and just, um, sounds like a really icy queen. Mm. It just didn't feel right for me to, to be in scene with my sub that way. I think I am by nature pretty quiet. And I think I found a way to be myself while still being the top and the dom. And it is a presence that is quieter. I don't raise my voice. And I and I think that I, I like it when people have to be really quiet to hear me. It's like, um, yeah, it's learning how to just be myself and letting go of what I think I should be if I were to be this woman or a dom in power. And yeah, maybe there's a lot of meditation too. Helps <laughs> 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 a lot. I think like if you're asking about like how, how can you like exude this presence that feels so relaxed, I think it's definitely the practice of meditation, which has quieted the voice inside of what should I say? What should I do? I'm just like really present in the space because I want to take in everything. And I've come to realize that power is actually being able to be fully present, right? Yeah. Because if you have this voice in your head, that's like saying, oh, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should say that, huh? What should I say next? That takes away your presence. And the person who has the most power in any dynamic or situation is the one who's most present and has the fullest like perception and grasp on that reality. So when you think about like being in a session with a sub, they're thinking about how they feel. They're thinking about what she's going to do to them, all these things. And the one who's like most in their head is the one who's giving away their power to the situation, to their fantasy, to the dom, to whomever it is. And so I think I've just like in my own way learned that, oh, being present is really powerful. The, yeah. That awareness is really powerful. 
Yeah. That's something that you said in your mistress class. So for my audience, I took, um, Colette's mistress class, which is a, it was a six week course, um, helping individuals to be able to, you know, access this power, access their inner dominatrix. And you said something in there that I've, I've referred to multiple times since, um, but you said the uh, learning the difference between subconsciousness and self-consciousness in in a power dynamic. Right. Could you explain to our audience more about that? Because I think you're touching on that here. Right. Yeah. It was this kind of play on words that I came up with. It's a line that I, I use to kind of help the doms like remember how to regain their power. And it's um, this, and the line is like the dom is subconscious and it's a play on words being conscious of the sub and the sub is self-conscious. And so if you think about it, if you're conscious of the other person, how they're feeling, what the experience is like for them, then you have the most power in this dynamic. And it's the one who is self-conscious is the one who is playing the submissive part because the submissive or the one who is self-conscious is in their head. They're, They're locked in their fantasy. They're projecting the fantasy onto the situation. They don't have a full grasp of reality the way that the Dom does because she knows exactly what the sub is thinking, feeling, what their desires and fantasies are, and she's weaving it into the scene. And so if you are ever in any situation inside a BDSM session or even outside, just remember the the sub is self-conscious. Are you feeling self-conscious right now? Then what do you do to um, inflect that? And I think that the way to do that is to make the other person be conscious of themselves and it could be asking them questions, right? And now they have to think. And, you know, in, in a session, I would just ask like, and how does it feel when I do this to you? Right. Even that right now they're being self-conscious and then say you're on a date with somebody that you're kind of a little bit nervous around because you're like, oh, they're really cute. And I hope I don't <laughs> come. Then you could just be like, so um, ask them a question about themselves. Like, so what made you want to come here today? Right. Like all of that is putting you in a place of power by being the curious one, being the most observant one, one that's like has the widest perception of what's going on. Well, that's so interesting to see you translate that experience into everyday life. Because I think of, you know, I think of uh, power dynamics as, well, I guess really just power play. I think of power play as something that's played out in the bedroom, but it, it very much plays out consciously or unconsciously in our world too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying you're giving these um, ways that people can integrate this type of play even beyond just the the confines of a scene. Right. Yeah. Because I think the bedroom, the dungeon, whatever space it is that you have this intimate play is actually a microcosm of the larger world of your grander life and how you navigate it. So how you navigate play in the bedroom is also how you navigate situations outside of it in, in, you know, in your relationships with your friends, your family, workspace, it's all the same. And so once you unlock the, those little micro moments that work in the scene, you're like, wait, that translates into every aspect of, um, interactions, intimacy, connection, communication, right? I think like BDSM is just this like super 
condensed, highly symbolic practice that when you really like look at it, you're like, this is actually what's happening every day, but in the most obvious extreme way, right? There's always power dynamics in any situation. Like right now you were listening to me. I'm the one initiating the action. You're receiving it. That in some way is a dynamic that's yeah. happening. And in BDSM, it's like very obvious. I'm like, okay, this is the top. This is the bottom. This is the dom. This is the sub. Mm -hmm. But this interplay of opposites is happening every day in every moment. And, and so it's just, we're not conscious of it in the same yeah. way we are in a scene. But it, I think BDSM just allows for us to see it in such a like obvious way. And once we apply that, 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 those aspects in a more conscious way in our everyday, mm -hmm. then we are making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And I see can, even how that can really transform our relationship with some of these parts too. Um, mm -hmm. Three years ago, before we hopped on here, I um, asked Colette about books that she read. <laughs> uh, three years ago, I had read the book Existential Kink. And I bought it thinking it was a BDSM book. And I was like, oh, yay, more BDSM books. Because <laughs> I love just devouring them. And then as I'm reading this, I was like, oh, damn, no, this is existentialism. Because it's, <laughs> it's applied to life. And I, it really blew my mind to see then how I unconsciously was playing out roles of smallness in my life, mm -hmm. where I was either not fully... Um, believing in my power to, you know, take on some of these bigger um, clients or uh, events and opportunities. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm just little Dr. Cat. Oh, here I am with an Instagram following, you know, <laughs> but then getting to see like, Oh, how can I consciously play out? Uh, first of all, how can I consciously play out my smallness in my BDSM relationships, in my scenes, mm -hmm. so that I can, you know, both create a relationship with it, allow myself an outlet to be in that smallness so that yeah. I don't have to play it out unconsciously in my, in my everyday mm -hmm. life. But then also, how can I be, how can I be my own dom in my life yeah. <laughs> and, and take the bigness, play the role of bigness in life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, so true. I, I love that book too. I think that Carolyn Elliott did a really good job of taking this Jungian idea, right? And until we make the unconscious conscious, it will rule our lives and we'll call it fate. And <sighs> put in this like really modern, edgy like way for us to like be able to make sense of it, where it's like, oh, okay, that's 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 the work that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make the unconscious conscious and the conscious unconscious. And then that's the, when true alchemy happens. When our inner world and outer world is playing with each other and we're conscious of it. Yeah. you. That, that's uh, one thing that I noticed about you in your teaching is your ability to, um, your artistry in, in weaving the spirituality, the alchemy with, with BDSM. Um what brought you to bring you personally to bring those two things together? I think it was a, a lot of contemplation. I mm. think like the first I've been a pro dom for 18 years now. And like the first 10 years, it was just the practice, just like, you know, 
taking a ton of sessions and going through all the motions of being a dom. Mm -hmm. But then it wasn't until like eight years ago, did I really have my spiritual awakening, you know, crisis happens. I was added by my sister to my mom and like, I had Mm -hmm. to really come out and be out. Mm -hmm. And that just set in motion, like this whole complete shift in my life. And I started to see how the transformations that are happening out in, in my life is actually a mirror of what happens inside the dungeon. And so I started to see that everything inside the dungeon is just this like symbol and metaphor for what's happening outside. And so I started weaving in what I thought were like the just the alchemy of transformation into BDSM because I think BDSM allows for us to see that alchemy in the most clear conscious way. It's like, it's like all the elements of BDSM, bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadomasochism. I started to break it down every single element and see how it looked like outside the dungeon. How is it making the unconscious conscious? And then when I Mm -hmm. started to see that, I was like, oh, bondage. Inside the dungeon, it's so obvious to us what bondage looks like when we have our hands tied or we are blindfolded and and we can't move, can't see, right? That's when we know that we're in bondage. But outside the dungeon, we actually are in bondage. If we mm. are saying what we want to say, doing what we want to do, being who we want to be in every single moment, that means that we have some kind of bondage that's holding us back from being in our... To, being our truest self and our truest self-expression. And that's when I started to see that, oh, if we work on our internal bondage, the bondage that's inside our head, it actually allows us to, to be in our power. And so my whole journey of coming into our power is really looking at BDSM in this like deeply symbolic way. And, and so, yeah just kind of wove in my spiritual journey of transformation into the practice. And then it just goes back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with clients, what does that transformation look like? Like how do they, cause I, so I'm imagining, you know, like in, um, in therapy sessions or plant medicine sessions, you know, ceremonies or whatever it is, there's this container that you're doing this work through, but -hmm. then there's the integration into life. So yeah. how do you see this container that you enter into this, these scenes um, then translate into their life or, or integrate into their life, your clients? I think it all depends on the sub and the clients and where their intentions are and where they want to grow mm-hmm. and how they want to transform themselves and see what the blocks are. And so we work together to kind of examine what that bondage is outside of the dungeon. But then what we do in the play is we embed every act, every activity, every um, tool and implement as part of like a symbol for what's happening Mm. for them, how they could take this pain, how they could, how they can allow themselves to let go and surrender. Like all of these things are like every single act, everything that they experience and receive becomes a deep symbol and metaphor of what they can actually do outside of the dungeon as well. And so it becomes this thing that's imprinted in them in a very physical way, in a very spiritual, sexual, emotional way. And they, they can leave that scene feeling like they've went through this whole journey 
and again, it's the microcosm of that moment yeah. spilling into the macrocosm of their life. And they know that if they could take something that most people cannot take, that means they are limitless in, in what they think is possible for themselves. Mm, yeah, you're creating these reference points and really taking these abstract concepts into concrete reality for them. Mm-hmm. I see that. I can imagine the individuals coming to work with you, like everybody has their own life experiences, traumas, you know, events, desires. Um, How do you, when you're working with someone, what's the process that you take them through to be able to design these scenes for them? I always start with their desire. Mm. You start with the dream and you work outward because that's what's going to motivate them, inspire them to go through what what might be the most challenging things that they've experienced physically or emotionally. Right? And so you always, I always like to begin with the dream. I don't begin with the problem, the blocks or anything. It's the dream. What is it that you want? Mm-hmm. And from there, we weave this path to it. And it may be something that is pretty intuitive. I don't know what it looks like until I'm with them and feeling their, their, just how they feel and respond to my touch to these things. But it, I work with the dream and mm-hmm. I let the, the dream guide the, the play in the session and how far they could go to, to realize that desire. Yeah. So when I talk to people about, about BDSM, uh, sometimes I get, I've gotten before, I'm thinking of one conversation in particular and where she said, if you're doing these, if you're going through these scenes and you're doing something, you know, maybe that's, that's working on, I I think she was referring to um, masochism and she's like, you're re-traumatizing people over and over again when you're, when you're doing these scenes or you're doing these, these things. Um, how would you explain to somebody that this bringing into these experiences, um, isn't re-traumatizing? I think it's, it could be the opposite of re-traumatizing. I think it could be deeply healing. And the part of it that makes it so is that it's the power of the choice that the sub has Mm. and the client has, right? It's because they are choosing to experience this on their own free will and their own, like, this is what they want. They're Mm -hmm. trying to find a way to find pleasure in something that used to be awful. They want to get off on this. And if you could get off on the thing that you thought was the worst thing that could have happened, you've found that's the magic. You've Mm -hmm. completely transmuted this thing that was painful and awful and ugly into something ecstatic and beautiful and, and incredible. And I think that it's, it's always the choice. The power is in the choice. And when you feel like you are choosing this, you're choosing the person to bring you through this pain or this challenge, then it's, it's powerful to say that thing that I thought I would always run away from. I want to face it now with somebody that I trust, admire, look up to and love. Mm. I had subs or I think of one sub in particular who came to me with like these um, race car tracks. They're like the micro, they were the same like tracks that his mom used to use to like hit him with. And so he brought them to me and wanted me to um, 
yeah, just paddle him with it. And, and so with every stroke, I just gave it to him, but also told him, told him I'm doing this out of love. And he felt that and he felt the, he, he just felt the love in each stroke. And it was just deeply beautiful and healing. There were tears mm-hmm. shed on mine and his, and there, it felt like we were able to revisit uh, an experience, but found a way to find love in it and this eroticism in it and to play with it, to make light of it. And I think that that's what's so powerful to make light of something, to keep it light, to not make it so heavy. Then you move this thing that was inside you and stuck and stagnant and move that energy around. And if you could like move that around and even get off on it and release it, then you've really sublimated this this thing that was the crisis, that was the trauma into something light and beautiful and in your power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using the power of Eros or ecstasy, which we, we know increases our capacity our threshold to be able to hold some of these more challenging or mm-hmm. um, feelings of disgust or fear or yeah. Um, yeah, otherwise. Yeah. Wow. And to really emphasize too, what you're saying there, they do have the power, you know, as much as we're playing with power, it is playing with power. Yes. But you are on equal power when you when you set the parameters, the consent, you know, you're you're establishing the scene. And it's only like in the scene that you're playing out these rules of power. Absolutely. I think that's one of the like misconceptions that we kind of have that we think that the sub is weak or powerless, but the sub is actually so powerful, right? They are the ones choosing to have this experience and it's, they, they couldn't have any, like they had to have power to begin with, to be able to give their power to someone. Mm-hmm. And so that in itself would say that, yeah, they, the sub has so much power, just as much as the Dom it's, it's an equal footing and it's about playing with power and not a displacement and a imbalance of it. Yeah. There's, this other book that I read, um, Radical Ecstasy by Mm -hmm. Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, highly recommend for anybody who's curious about this. This book blew my mind uh, in the way that BDSM could be used for transcendence. It could be used for healing. It's probably the best written description that I've come across for power play and the possibilities of the healing um, because the the scenes that they describe are incredibly heavy mm-hmm. and taboo and they're talking about everything from you know um uh daddy baby girl play or little play or um you know some of the cultural traumas and and racism and like really edgy taboos that mm-hmm. and they describe the scenes that they go through and the experiences that they have and the and the emotions and the you know, the altered states of consciousness. And, and it just, I was just like, Damn, somebody took, first of all, the courage to write this and say, this is how we're playing and we're publishing it and putting it out into this, into this space. And also, you know, these are two individual partners, you know, playing out these roles. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, uh, God, I have so many questions here, but the first one, <laughs> it makes me wonder like, 
at what point do you feel that BDSM is um, appropriate and powerful for couples to play out? And at what point is it um, important that they seek out a professional like yourself to play out some of these, these roles? I think it's when they have that desire to explore something that is beyond vanilla, right? It's almost like when you are tired of the same flavor, that's probably the right time to explore, you know, chocolate, strawberry, mint, chocolate chip, all the other flavors (laughs) out there. I, I think it's not too different than like, than just wanting to try something new. Mm-hmm. And it could be that maybe they're feeling stuck in their play and that there's this, what feels like maybe the lack of spark or fire or passion. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just like, it, it could be that once we are so familiar with our partners that there some of that polarity is gone or some of the familiarity makes it so that there's no mystery. Right? Yeah. Mystery is what brings that eroticism out in in intimate play. And so I think that when it feels like there's something missing, that kind of mystery, that spark, mm-hmm. that could be a good time to explore playing somebody else, trying something on, putting on a different outfit, right? I could put on a cheerleader outfit and they could put on a letterman's jacket. And now it's like, we're in high school. And it could, it doesn't even have to be super edgy, right? It Uh could just be role playing, taking on these different roles. And, but adding just like simple elements is just like a blindfold, right? Yeah. That is already something that is different than the typical um, sex that we have that's very vanilla. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you feel like you're ready for something new, it's probably a good time to explore the edges mm-hmm. or at least explore playing. Yeah. Playing. I love that concept. Yeah. Playing because that really takes the pressure off of this. I think so many people feel like they have to know already how to dom in order to start it and start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so then what would be the point that they would, um, you know, hire somebody who's a professional then to do this work? I think that if say maybe someone in the relationship is just like, well, okay, you want me to top you, but I don't think I know how this Mm -hmm. might be a good time to bring in a dom so that we could top you together and they can train me or show me some of the toys and techniques and show me the rope. So it could be something as just like a partner wants to learn how to top their other partner, but don't know how to begin. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good time to maybe have a little bit of fun and do the research together, right? Mm-hmm. Find, find the dom where you're both like, ooh, okay, they're, they seem mm-hmm. really fun and exciting and and see if, you know, how they present themselves feels very aligned with how you feel in your aesthetics and, and, um, and just your demeanor, all those things there, there has to be this kind of spark. Yeah. And I would also say, and I'm going to do a plug because you and Mm -hmm. I are doing a, uh, a couples retreat and that's incorporating a lot of the BDSM work and the, um, uh, sensuality and Tantra work that I do. Um, and I'm so excited about it. So anybody who's curious, first of all, come, come play with us. Um, and also what I, what I think of is, so speaking for myself, I'm a therapist 
but I don't do therapy on my on my lovers or partners. Like I, I don't do trauma work on my lovers and partners. I can hold the space if something happens and they go into a trauma response and yeah. I can help them move out of that, but I don't create, uh, intentionally create the container to do that with them. And right. so as I'm thinking, as that relates to couples, you know, some scenes, or if there's trauma that, that wants to be worked through somatically, it's like, how do we, you know, how do we take care um, or how do we, I, I guess mm. that might be a good time to invite a pro-dom to do the work with our partner rather than us try to take on that role um, right. in case, you know, trauma does come up or we don't know how, we don't have the skills to hold space for trauma re-emerging. Right. Yeah. I think that's really important and a really good point to to bring up in that, yeah, there's knowing your capacity and what your limits are and how you could show up for your partner. And, and it could just be that you could only go with them this far, right? And now you know that there's something that you, you actually don't have the experience, the expertise and mm. emotional bandwidth even to be able to to hold space for someone in that way and, and visiting this space that feels really, maybe it's even challenging for you. Maybe it's hard for you to even know how to hold space for them in this emotional way. And I think that, yeah, that's also a good time to maybe explore seeing who else can I bring into this space so that we can explore these depths together, explore these edges together, because maybe they're too edgy for yourself and you need somebody to make it so that it feels a lot more easeful and bring more clarity to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's like the concept of working in your, your, um, zone of, um, professionalism, like in therapy, we're like, you know, work in your competency, work at where, where, you know, versus trying to extend beyond because you don't know what can happen, especially in regards to here. Yeah. We're really working a lot with the psyche here. Um, so if, if our audience say our audience is looking to work with a professional dom or dominatrix, how can they vet for who they're working with? Like what sort of questions or qualities should they look out for or ask about? I think definitely have a conversation with the Dom before you go into <laughs> a scene, but I think it's having a, a good long conversation, at least like 30 minutes to get a sense of, of how they play and how they work with couples. And and I think you could get a lot from just having the conversation, seeing that is this Dom, someone who's really empathic, really sensitive to your limits, to your desires, and doesn't have their ego <laughs> coming into this. And it's really someone who is deeply, I think, you know, some of the things you could like look out for is, or, or at least be aware of is that, are they asking enough questions about you, your relationship? Do you feel seen and heard? Do you feel like they have a sense of where you want to go? And, and I think that that's, that's a really important to check in with yourself, like just on a, a very like embodied way. Like, do I feel safe? <laughs> do, do I feel like I'm being fully um, seen? And does this person really want to know 
what's going on in our relationship and our dynamic and, and, and ask them like, so what would you envision a scene would be for us? What would it look like? And then have them just share what they think could be a possibility. And does that excite you? And I think that just having the conversation that feels long enough so that you feel like, oh, there's a resonance here on a very like emotional, spiritual Mm -hmm. level. Like Mm -hmm. not only do I think you need to be like attracted to this person, but you have to find that there's something in their presence that makes you feel really safe to go to those edges. And if there's something where it just feels like you're getting like somehow bossed in or manipulated in or just, oh, okay, going along with it, that's not going to to, to work because you have to feel completely safe. And even in a conversation, you can begin to, to feel that safety. Yeah. Yeah. And so really tuning into your somatic responses to this person. Yeah. That's challenging because it's like the ego, you said to tell the difference between the ego of the person too, because when you're, uh, playing a role of a dom, um, that you know, you can play a role of ego. <laughs> like, like, I don't know, how do you tell the difference yeah. between? <laughs> and I think that could come with like time and experience. I feel like, you know, you could also ask Dom, how long have you been playing? And have you played with couples before? Have you played with, um, yeah, um, queer, non-binary women, femmes, like just getting a sense of their experience of how long they've been playing and how they even ask them questions. How did you get started? And and what do you find rewarding about this work and seeing what their answers are, are? And if that feels very resonant with you, then I think that all of those are good questions to ask. I think that's an excellent question. And even through the process, I think of, of working with the individual, also trusting your own intuitive sensations, because mm-hmm. how many of us override our gut sensation because we we have this desire to to work with somebody to, um, to say yes and be like, well, she is the doms, I guess, right? Like just going along with it. This is yeah, not the time to just go along with what you think you're supposed to say in response. Yeah, um, yeah, but really just checking in with yourself. Does this feel good? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, so. The world of sexuality, being an editor in sexuality, and especially being an educator in BDSM can be challenging being on the forefront of like, uh, you know, being public facing Mm -hmm. because you are holding a mirror to the world, showing them their unconscious desires, their fantasies, the roles of power. Um, You're talking about taboo taboo topics. And I know for me personally, in um, being on Instagram, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about BDSM or I'll talk about power play um, and some of these dynamics and, and I'll get full in the comments, just people like you're perpetuating, you know, pedophilia, or you are, you know, um, uh, perpetuating abuse, (laughs) things like that. And I, you know, there's, it's jarring at first in my system. I'm like, okay. I just have to remind myself that they're just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a stigma out there in the culture and there's a Mm -hmm. lack of knowledge and ignorance, not by anybody's faults, but, you know, patriarchy and the (laughs) culture at large. Um, 
but it is jarring to our system. Mm -hmm. So for you, I've seen really just with so much grace, hold these experiences that you've gone through. And um, I really would like you to share with us how you've managed that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it definitely is a part of the the work and like, this is the work that we do and this is part of the journey. Right. And so I, I, I learned the hard way too, from putting myself out there, sharing things that are really edgy and taboo, talking about kink, polyamory, open relationships. Mm -hmm. Like I have been labeled as a sex cult leader, as a groomer, as a pedophile, right? And it's also because we're, we're playing with things that are edgy, that are age play. We're talking about open relationships and that gets distorted to a sex cult. We're talking about, yeah, things that are really edgy and taboo. And then that somehow gets distorted to being a groomer. So we live in a very binary world, right? So if it's something that people don't understand, then it's not, then it has to be bad. It has to be evil. It has to be wrong. And I think that what we've come to realize and through experience is that there is something to that book, 50 Shades of Grey, just in the title, right? There's all the these gradations of grayness in this play, that it's not about good, bad, pleasure, pain, right, wrong, feminine, masculine. It's like, it's taking all of that and playing with all of it and saying, this isn't good. This isn't just bad. This is like, we're taking it all and playing with it. We're embracing the paradox of life. And I think that when you bring up these topics of what can turn you on is actually age play, then all of a sudden um, people are projecting their ideas and opinions of what that is. But there's so much power in what's taboo, not only in society at large, but for your own self. And so I think that there's, that's why like BDSM and kink is such deep, like alchemical, transformative, like play and magic, because you're working with things that are really edgy. That's Mm -hmm. there's, and there's wisdom in the shadows and in the edges. And if you never want to go there, then you'll always think that everything that's not vanilla is probably bad and wrong. Right. But if you allow yourself to not judge, but to just stay curious, Hmm. I wonder what that's about. Oh, okay. Maybe there is something here about playing out this dynamic that you never got to have growing up, but now you could eroticize it. Huh? Interesting. Like it's really being able to, I think, play with people's curiosity, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, not triggering judgments. And that's a tricky line to like, um, walk. And so I think that I've just been way more careful with how I talk about things and not assume that people get it. And, and so, yeah, the things that are edgy are only for those who are in my intimate containers. Like I go there in my class, mistress class and in my boot camps and workshops, I could talk about that because everyone who signed up for it gets it right? Mm -hmm. Knows that this is about play. And this is actually about exploration of oneself through exploring the edges and shadows 
But mm-hmm. for those who haven't signed up for it or want it, um, I I don't bring it up anymore. Yeah. It's too, it's too edgy. Yeah. And edges will trigger people. Sure. And it's like, once you put something out there into the world, you don't have control over how people receive it anymore. It's yeah. just kind of left to their devices of interpretation or sitting with, or maybe they don't have the resources for, for self-soothing after they read something or to understand or, you know, um, ground themselves in the reality of this is just play, or this is, you know, for a healing modality. And yet at the same time, the paradox of that is, is that we also want to educate the world. We also want to, you know, uh, destigmatize. So it's such a tricky dance with that. Absolutely. I think that I will at some point bring these things up again, Mm -hmm. but I think it has to be done in a really skillful way, Mm -hmm. providing a lot of context and a lot of practice, a lot of caveats. All of that has to like be built on top of it so that there's just context. Because what happens is that these things get taken out of context and gets distorted, gets villainized, and, and you have a a bad person doing something when it's really someone who's just exploring themselves and Mm -hmm. wanting to go to the edges. Yeah. I think that we should like, it's our own personal journeys to create these safe spaces for ourselves and for those that we want to play with. And it's my own goal to find a way to create these safe spaces that keeps on widening so that everyone Mm -hmm. feel safe within themselves to explore when they're ready. Yeah. And you're doing a great job. You are doing an excellent job of it. Uh, And I'm excited to co-create that container with you on this, you know, couples retreat. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be so good. (laughs) Uh, What can people expect um, from your medicine in that space for this couples retreat? I think it's, I somehow think of the word like wedlock, you know, and, and there's like so, but I'm not saying that the couples in here are married, but there could be some, but there's something about breaking out of old traditions, old ways of thinking and finding new ways to play. And so it's about like undoing the things that feel like has bound you to thinking that this is the way to love. This is the way to sex. This is the way to connect Mm. and breaking that out and being like, oh my God, there's a whole world that we can explore that is infinite and Mm -hmm. can spark fire and passion within us. And I, I think I, what I hope to create with you are these moments of like, orgasmic bliss and explanations, right? Like the, the orgasm that comes from like, oh, ah, I get it. Holy fuck. I see it now. Those moments. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm right there with you. There's going to be lots of orgasmic moments. That's for fuck sure. (laughs) Orgasmic moments and transcendence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the, the orgasm is explanations too. Mm -hmm. And like, um, there's this psychologist, um, from Berkeley who, I'm blanking on her name, but she talks about how the same spot in our brains that triggers the explanation, aha, is the same spot that triggers the orgasm, mm-hmm. like orgasmic bliss. And so just those moments of being like, ah, 
I see it now. Oh, and that explains why it's been like this. And now mm-hmm. it can be like this. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Orgasm, like orgasms on all the levels. Yeah. We're just going <laughs> to demystify the word orgasm and reconstruct with some, you know, yeah, many layers, <laughs> many new layers <laughs> of understanding. Okay. So I've got a couple of audience questions as we're wrapping up. And if, if you follow me on Sex Love Yoga, then you know that every time that I have a new guest on, I put a question out to you all. If you want me to ask them something that, uh, yeah, you just don't want me to ask them something. <laughs> so <laughs> the first question from the audience member, how has your play evolved over the years? Have your desires changed? So I'm not sure if that's your personal play or if that's your professional play, but I can imagine those are two. I don't know if those are one and the same or if those are different. I think they're somewhat different. I think professionally my play has been um, over the years, just more intuitive. You know, Mm. just, I think maybe early on you, you start playing the Dom and thinking like, Oh, this is how a Dom should be. She should be Mm. like, um, doling out commands all the time and then doing all these things. And I think that in time, I just became more, um, more myself mm-hmm. and less of what I think I should be doing. And so I think my play has been just, um, more intuitive and also maybe more spiritualized as well as I've deepened my spiritual journey. And I think before it felt like it was kind of just, you know, going through the motions of what like a typical BDSM session is and just the physical play of it. And now I like to embed more of the pieces that I think can be transformational. And that's like embedding more of the spiritual aspects of it and and inviting the sub to really dream into their larger desires, not just outside the dungeon, but in, in their lives and seeing how I could play with their desires on two levels, what's Mm. happening in the dungeon and what's happening outside of it. And so, yeah, I think that I, my approach has become more holistic. I like Mm -hmm. working with those who want to change and grow. And so I I love like having a, a deep relationship with my subs that expands outside the dungeon and and really getting to know them and finding a way to connect. That's not just like mistress sub, but also as like, as a friend, as coach, as an ally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then, so second question, I feel I have a part of me that is a Dom, but I lack confidence. How do I explore more? I think it's by just giving it a try and, and having those experiences, you'll never know how to be a dom until you have a sub shows up and it could be just a friend, a partner, a a lover, somebody who's willing to play the part of giving their power to you, of being the sub. And so I always tell my um, students in class that the, the dom comes out when the sub shows up. So you may never really get to know that dominant side of yourself until a sub shows up. And, and so you, I, the, 
the way through it is to have that experience, to find that sub. And that's like something I do in my classes where I have my subs show up for the mistresses and they get to play with them so that they have this experience. So that's not just an idea of, I think I could be a good dom. It's like, oh, I see it now. When Mm -hmm. someone is on their knees and saying, what would you like mistress? How can I please you? Then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay, what do I want? Right? Because this whole thing with BDSM and kink is you need another person to play with. Mm -hmm. So the only way to explore that dominant side of yourself is to find someone who is willing to play with you, willing to give up their power and allow you to feel that moment of like, oh, okay, then what, what is it that I want to do? How do I want them to be for me? And, and something that I also say to my students is don't fake it till you make it. Because the idea of faking it feels like you have this imposter syndrome lingering in your mind. And so instead of faking it till you make it, act as if until you are. Act as if you are that feminine power until you are. And it's a just a slight different like twist to it, but it, it makes you just be in the moment of acting as if, playing the mm-hmm. part until all of a sudden you're like, I am, I am the dom. Yeah, I can really relate with that too. I remember the first time that I um, dommed somebody. It was at a um, public BDSM party, um, uh, Torture Garden in mm-hmm. in LA like years ago. Yeah. And this guy approached, approached me and he was like, do you trample? And in my head, I'm like, I don't, I don't do that. I, I'm not a dom. I'm a, you know, I'm a sub. But what came out of my mouth was, Yes. And I pushed him up against the wall with my foot <laughs> and proceeded to just like have a whole scene. And oh it was the most. And after that, I was just talking so dirty to my, <laughs> to the friends that I was with. And I was just directing and ordering and it was just flowing out of me. And I'm like, wow. Okay. I guess I do. <laughs> it's like a light switch. So I love how you said that. Yeah. When you find the sub there's, you know, the alchemy of you and the other person may even inspire that part of you to be able to come out. Yeah. Um, I also would suggest books. So the books, uh, the topping book mm-hmm. and the bottoming book, um, loving dominant, um, yeah. playing well with others. Um, those are some of the, my favorite ones. Do you have wow. books that you recommend? I don't remember one of the first books I read was, um, the mistress manual. And then there was yes. also SM 101 by Jay Wiseman. And then, um, what else? And then there's another book that just got published recently called The Dominance Playbook that gives like lots of ideas on how to play. So that's also another one. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Or work with with Colette or <laughs> work with, you know, another pro dom and take workshops, um, take, you know, workshops in your area to really get that practice in. Yeah. And I think a really great way to learn how to be dom is to, to be a sub, like ask a dom mm. to have a session as a sub and see how she plays with you as a sub. And then you get to not only see how she does her thing, but you could also see how it feels to submit and surrender and be like, oh, I guess it does feel good somehow when I feel safe enough to just let go. And and so, yeah, I would say um, one of the quickest ways to learn how to be a dom is to be a sub and to shadow sessions, to mm. ask another dom, someone who has experience, can I shadow your session? Can I sit in with you? Can I um, explore. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it. Maybe I, I'll, 
also get in there and get hands on too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And for anybody interested, uh, Colette has her upcoming mistress class coming up in March. So highly recommend. And how can they find out more about you? How can they sign up for this class? Where do they go? I think following me on Instagram is a pretty good place because I'll be kind of announcing all the new elements of this class, the new guest speakers, but also um, there's a website that's called pervet.com. That's my website. And so if you go to pervet.com backslash mistress class, you'll find all the details of um, what's coming up next. Yeah. And I'll be sure to include all the links in the show notes so you can find that easily. Thank you so much for hopping on here with me. This was a delightful conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.